0: Father, this morning we just want to thank you, Father, the joy of knowing you, the joy of being in your presence, and the joy of coming together in your name, your people, your family, coming together, Lord. All kinds in your family, babies, young ones, young men, and fathers, all kinds, but it is a family. and We just want to thank you because you are the Father. And the entire family on earth takes its name from you, Lord. So this morning I pray, Father, you speak to us. You are the everlasting Father, Lord Jesus. You speak to us. At your feet, we sit. And we give our entire self of attention over to you, Father. You speak to us. Because every word you speak has power. Power to set us free. Every word has the power to draw us closer to you. And every word you speak is life. So speak, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So like I said in the beginning, today is the greatest day in Christendom. It's only in the Christian calendar the date actually keeps changing because we follow the Roman calendar. But for those of you also who know the other calendar, yesterday was Passover. For the Jews in Israel, yesterday was Passover. Friday to Saturday, yesterday was Passover. So technically speaking, he died yesterday. And he didn't rise today. But let's go by that day. Okay, Today is the day of the resurrection. 2,000 years. More than 2,000 years. But, or actually less than 2,000 years. But the fact of the matter is the first resurrection Sunday. The sad part of it is, no one was there. No one was there. No one believed that he would rise from the dead. Faith was missing. The actual truth on Resurrection Sunday, one thing was missing. Love was not missing. Love was there. Mary, Magdalene, the other Mary, they were all there. Peter ran, John ran, John ran faster than Peter, but they all ran. Love was there. What was missing was, faith was missing. He's coming back. Very soon. One thing he said about that is that when the Son of Man comes back, will faith be still missing? Will he find faith? Will he find faith on earth? Death, burial, resurrection. Will he find faith? So this morning it's not a resurrection message. This morning is, what was the purpose behind this all? Not for us, as we understand, for God. What was the ultimate purpose behind everything God did through his son? His death. We have another word in English for death, which is deceased. Not deceased as in sickness, there's another word which is not D-I, which is D-E. Deceased. In Greek, death or deceased is actually Exodus. Exodus. You know, the second book of the Bible. Exodus. Got it incredible stuff in Egypt. But we don't realize none of that would have taken them one step out of Egypt. It was the blood of the Passover lamp. All the other things. In the light of that is irrelevant. We focus on those mighty works of God. That cannot take them out of Egypt. That cannot cause. Death to the world. Death to sin. And an exodus out of the power of sin. And the power of this world. It was the blood of the Passover lamp. Understand that everything else, we look at it, that's not what sets us free. It was the blood. So you will see there, early in the morning, after the blood had been put, and the firstborn of Egypt had died, Pharaoh called in the night, still dark, told Moses, please, go. Take your people, go. Bless me also, go. Early in the morning, I believe when it is still dark, Israel left Egypt. No more, no more will they die in this world. Death for them was overcome. Very early in the morning, scripture says, Jesus rose from the dead. No more man has to die in his sins. He's free. Death needn't have any power over us. But what was the purpose? Okay, he freed me and you. He freed Israel from Egypt. But what was the purpose? What did God want from the freedom they enjoyed and the freedom we enjoy? What does God want to do through it all? When they came out and they came through the Red Sea and Pharaoh, the last symbol of Egypt, is dead and gone from the view. Moses sings this song, which is called the Song of Moses. Okay? And in Exodus 15, verse 2, prophetically he speaks the heart of God, what God wants for every man and woman and child who has been delivered from the power of death and the power of this world. It is this. The Lord is my strength. It's not that Lord will strengthen me. That's different. The Lord is The Lord is my, not that I will sing to the Lord. The Lord is my song. Not that he will save me. He has become my salvation and he is my God and I will praise him. This is what God wanted, actually wants from all of us. Then only the purpose of Jesus' death and resurrection is fulfilled in all of us. When that day and that hour comes in our life and we can truly sing from our heart in spirit and truth, God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. That's what God wants. The whole purpose is much bigger than we think that God saved us for himself we always think about freedom for ourselves oh he set me free thank you lord let me go god says no i saved you for myself in exodus 25 and verse 8 okay when the sanctuary now they are in the wilderness the commandments are being given the sanctuary is going to be built and this is what god said you build a temple for me Build me a sanctuary. For what? That I may dwell among you. That is, that is the purpose of salvation. We always see salvation from our perspective. Lord, I am waiting one day. I will dwell with you. God says, do you know the purpose of salvation is also that I will dwell among you. I will dwell among you. That's why I saved you. Exodus 29, 45 and 46. I will dwell among the children of Israel. And will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God. How will we know he is our God? When God dwells among us. And he becomes our God. See, This was God's desire always. And the next verse. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed Instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern he had seen. He said very clearly, it was the tabernacle of what? Witness. Whose witness? God's witness. He was there in the He was the witness. That's why the, the tabernacle took its entire meaning. The tabernacle of testimony or the tabernacle of witness. In Leviticus, why I'm putting this across in how many places God tries to reveal his heart to Israel, they Never received it. They were happy with their salvation. But they were not happy with the other part of salvation from God's part. Leviticus 26 verse 11. I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you. I will live among you and my soul will not abhor I will love you. I want to live among you. I really want to fellowship with you. First Kings chapter 6 and verse 13. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. And Isaiah 12 too, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. So whether they were in the wilderness, whether they were in Israel, or whether they were in captivity, God's desire for his people was always this. I want you to know, I want to become your salvation. I want to live, dwell in your midst. Unless we see salvation from God's point of view, actually we will miss the joy of salvation. It's not that if you die, you won't go to heaven. But I don't know how much we'll enjoy heaven. You cannot help enjoying heaven. It's like going on a vacation. You can't help enjoying because The place is so good. But what about the person in that place? The person that fills that place. The presence that fills that place. So this has been God's desire. What was God's desire always? To dwell with his people. Among his people. It didn't happen with Israel. He found somebody here and there. But Israel was not interested. Therefore, John chapter 1, verse 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. You know what Jesus did? He came as a human being. Came as a human being. And for the first time, God had a man in whom he could dwell Completely. God's desire was satisfied. He had one man whom he could dwell in in his entirety. That's why Colossians 1 and verse 15 to 19 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible, invisible, with the thorn, thrones. Dominion's principalities of power. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in all things he may have preeminence. It pleased the father. That in him the fullness should dwell. So who is Jesus. In whom the fullness of Father dwells. But who is Jesus? The head of the body. You know this is my desire. I wanted to live with Israel. But I want to live in you. More than what? More than. This is my desire. And Jesus was that one man. In whom the Father could in his entirety. If a human body could encompass The infinite God, that was Jesus. So in John 3 and 34, John the Baptist says, For he whom the Lord has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. What does it mean? Jesus was filled by the Spirit of the Father without measure. To understand the real purpose of salvation, let us today look at salvation from God's point of view. That's the difference when a worship leader worships, okay? Worship leaders, okay? I I led worship for almost nine years of my ministry. I will tell you, worship is divided into two parts, praise and worship. We praise God. But even when we praise God, there is an element of self in it because we praise him for what he did for us. But in worship, there's no element of self. It is all about who he is. It's not what he does. That's the difference between praise and worship. So in praise, we'll say, Lord, thank you for your healing. Thank you for your deliverance. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But because of what you did for me in worship, it's about who you are, Lord. There's none like you. Absolutely none like you. And that's what God is talking about. Jesus came in the flesh and he prepared a sanctuary for the Father on earth. That is what tabernacle actually means. Jesus came in the flesh and tabernacled among us. The Father dwelt in Jesus in us. He made a prepared sanctuary, a tabernacle. And Father in his fullness dwelt in him. So we are now starting today onwards. When you think about salvation. Think about from God's perspective. When God says to us. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the end of salvation. God will have a place. Where he can dwell in his fullness. A set of people. Not all people in eternity, but a set of people in whom he will be everything. To whom he is everything. And with whom he can dwell and reveal his fullness. That is the end of salvation. That's what you see in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 3. You see when new Jerusalem comes down to earth. That's the bride. And the father comes down. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. See, this was God's desire always. I believe, good kind of jealousy. I believe the angels are a little jealous. Because he never said anything about this to the angels. Never said about any other creation. Never. No animal, no angel, nothing. It's only about man, he said. I want to deal with you. That is the purpose of salvation. Purpose of salvation. It's about man. So you have to go beyond looking at man's point of view of salvation to incredible God's point of salvation. What is that God desire? He's always looking for a person, a set of people in whom he can dwell. That's what surrender means. We constantly are surrendering ourselves to him where he increases and he decreases and he's actually finding a dwelling place. If you look at Israel's history, Israel had three kings. Saul was a man of flesh who built nothing for God, if you know him. But he built something for him, himself. Okay? Okay. He made a monument for himself and built nothing for God. So God could not dwell in him at all. He anointed him, used him for a season, but could not dwell in him. David was the king who brought the ark to Jerusalem. And he pitched a tent for it. This guy was incredibly gung-ho about God. More than the things which God did for him. This guy was obsessed with God. And God loved this man. God says things about this David, he will say about no other man in the Old Testament. Okay. Solomon is the one who built that incredible, magnificent temple. So here are three kings, Saul, who built nothing for God to dwell, David, who brought the ark and pitched a tent, and Solomon, who built this mind-boggling temple. But if you looked into the heart, it was David who loved God with all his heart. And even when he sinned, he still loved God. and He was miserable. And he was the real worshipper and not Solomon. So God is not interested in outward splendor or magnificence where there is no inward reality. So God is not so much interested in Solomon's temple. Okay. He's looking for a people who love God with all their heart, who daily surrender and reach, if we surrender, we reach a point of total surrender. That's what scripture says he can save us to the uttermost if we come, go to him. And unless we are, our eyes are open to the understanding of the Holy One. Okay. Remember, Brother Cyril talked about Understanding of the Holy One is what? Knowledge of the Holy One is what? But let me tell you something which you didn't hear that day. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That understanding will never come from fasting, from praying, from studying the Word. It only comes by revelation. God has to reveal. And He does not reveal unless He sees we truly desire Him. That's in His hand. Who do you say I am? Different answers. Peter said suddenly, this is who you are. He said, flesh and blood. Did not this reveal this to you? This was revealed by my father. Okay, understand that. That is the key. That is why you see certain people in the Bible knowing God and we hearing about God through them. And David was one such man. In Amos 9, 11, prophetically, the prophet looks ahead, says this. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as it in the days of old. You see, God never talks about the tabernacle of Solomon. Now, we would say, oh, in that day, I'm going to build a greater temple than Solomon's. God says no. That fallen down tent of my son David. Do you remember that? I'm going to build it up. I'm going to build it. That was one kid who really loved me. And really sought me out. And it is his tabernacle. On that day I will build. Now let us look at it prophetically. How it plays out. When Gentiles started getting saved. The apostolic council. And especially James. The leader of the church at that time. He gets this revelation. And he says this in the book of Acts. And after they had become silent, they're all silent because they're all like, Gentiles got saved. We thought salvation was only for the Jews. You mean they got saved? The Holy Spirit is in them. God is in them. And James said, Men, brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Remember we are all, there's no Jews sitting here. All of us are Gentiles. Whatever Syrian you want to call yourself, it doesn't matter. Somewhere along the line, you are a Gentile. You can go to CCMB and do a genetic test, you will be found a Gentile. Okay? So we are all well Gentiles. And among the Gentiles, God has taken out, visited the Gentiles to take out of them. So you should look good and say, you know, I've been taken out of the Gentiles for his name's sake. And what is he going to do with us? Next verse. And with this the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. After this I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins. I will set it up. He says I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, not of Solomon. So you see, you have to see the difference. The Jews are still waiting for the third temple. while well, David's tabernacle is being built by God. That's the difference. They are waiting for the third temple. And they are fighting and fighting and waiting. And all the things of the third temple are ready. They are just waiting for permission to start building. Not us. Because in us, God is rebuilding the tabernacle of David. Which has fallen down. The true worship. A set of worshippers will arise. Who will worship God in spirit and truth. And he will have a set of people. In whom He will dwell, and then one day, physically, a set of people with whom He will dwell. Understand the purpose of salvation, and that's what He's talking about. So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the gentiles who are called by My name, says the Lord, who does all these things known to God from eternity. Areth. Then all of mankind will say, "We want Your." So when Jesus comes back, the Jews will be pierced and they will realize, oh my God, we look them as Gentiles, but they knew you. We only see you now. The church in whom he will dwell. So the question today is this simple question on this Resurrection Sunday. Personally, at a personal. Now we make it personal. Scripture has to become personal. Otherwise it does not have life. We sit together corporately. But scripture has to become personal. How do I. I. Make a dwelling place. For the living God. How do I. Build up. The fallen tabernacle of David. How do I. Become a place. A place. A person. In whom. God is comfortable. How do I? Do you remember the response of Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration when they saw Elijah and Moses and Jesus and all? This is what he said in Matthew seventeen four. Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here if you wish. Let us make here three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And what did Father say? In verse 5? Quite. While he was still, this is the voice coming and saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Listen to him. We don't need three tabernacles. Moses is not going to dwell in you. Elijah is not going to dwell in you. You need only one tabernacle. And that tabernacle is my son. You need to learn how to be in him and he in you. Only one is needed. hear him. Peter, I know you talk a little too much, but listen to my son. Okay. Listen to my son. there is no need for three tabernacles. At the end, there will be only one tabernacle, only one where God dwells. So the simple question with and the answer which should go with this question is, how do Lord teach me whether you are a young child or an older person, married, unmarried, whatever Lord, help me to make a place where you can dwell. It's interesting, right? Because always our we are seeking something else. Lord, uh, give me a place where I can stay. Give me a place where I can work. Give me a vehicle I can drive. See, we always think, thought the other way. We never thought this way, Lord. Can I become a place you can dwell? Can I become a vehicle you can drive? Can I become that job you can work at and work through? Can I become a dwelling place? Listen to Jesus when he walked on earth. Matthew 8 verse 20. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Which is the real thing. When Jesus walked on earth, he did not have a dwelling place. If everybody came after him seeking something for themselves, nobody sought to give him a place to rest. Now honestly, isn't that true about us too? Isn't that true about us too? All our prayers are always about God meeting our needs and how many of us really wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I know you are God, but Lord, is there any need of yours I can meet? Now that you created me, is there something that I can do with you? For you? See, we are his children. Legally speaking, we are his children born again. He loves us, whatever may. Whether we fall in sin or stand upright, He loves us because He's a Father. But in a relational sense, do we meet His need? His need for communion? His need for fellowship? Most, sadly most Christians, most of our lives, even us, churches, are very childish just want to meet our own need. The question to to ask on this Sunday is who meets the Lord's need? Even on the cross he cried, I thirst. I thirst. The old covenant and the new covenant, Paul will say, there is none who seeks after God. None. No one. None never seeks after God. It's a cry of a creator. Like if you were there on a VBS, Brother Cyril was saying that everything that we feel is because he feels. Every desire has been warped after the fall. But it's nothing man feels we did not originate with God. So if we long for fellowship, he longs for fellowship. No one, scripture says, seeks after me. In John chapter 1, verse 10 and 12, introduction to his own people, all the sanctuary, festivals, rituals, sacrifices, everything was basically to say that if you clean up your act, I can come and stay with you. If you live like cockroaches, I'll be outside. But if you clean up, I will. That was what he was trying to tell them. They never got it. They never got it except for a few people here and there. They never understood what he was trying to tell them, because nobody was interested in him staying with them. Because if you stay with us, it's trouble for us. We can't do the things we want to do. So why don't you go and come and answer when we ask you something up? Give it and go, please. So scripture says, he was in the world. The world was made through him. The world did not know him. He came to his own. The world lived. The world did not know him. That's a different thing. They did not know him. But he came to his own. And his own did not? His own did not receive him. That's why Scripture says the gospel is first to the Jews. Christ went to the Jews, and he said, "Don't preach anywhere. First, preach only to the Jews, because I'm going to them." And his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, he gave them the right. Okay, this is a small. In Greek, the actual word is a small baby. If you re- even babies will receive their fathers, right? They have a way of receiving. Okay. Their core is selfish because they don't know anything else. Not deliberately, but ignorantly. You, you hear about this little child who is to, who had to have her father read the bedtime. Same story. If you know little babies, they don't need a library. They need one book. And they want that same story over and over and over and over again. And this father was a busy, busy man. I don't know how fathers can be busy when they have small children, okay? You cannot be too busy for small children. Which I not too busy, okay? Okay. He was looking down, so he knows what I'm talking about. Okay? So the father decided one thing. What he did was he recorded that story and told the little baby, When you want to listen, when you want your bedtime story, all you have to do is press this button, and Daddy's voice will come and he will read for you. Little child, not the children like toys. So the first two, three nights, the child was excited. So he pressed the button and heard the father read the story and slowly fell asleep. Third night, the child came and knocked at the study and said, daddy, daddy opened the door. He said, what happened? I wanted to read the story. She said, but he said, but didn't I record it for you? She said, yes. Doesn't work? Yes. So what do you want? She said, but I cannot sit on its lap. Do you see what she was saying? It's more than a story. I can hear your voice, but I don't feel your presence. So even children meet a need of God. Little ones. That's why I sometimes believe God enjoys the worship sometimes of new born again believers and his old hardened ones. Have you noticed these new born again ones are so exuberant because there's so much in childish love of God and God enjoys it. He says, sit on my lap and sing in my ear. I have no problem. I love you. Then it slowly starts going off. We don't grow in that relationship. That's what he's talking about. They received him not. But those who received him, we receive him. Continuously we receive him. We rest in him and he rests in us. And that's what communion means. Life is all about communion. We rest in him and he rests in us. That is the end of salvation. That's what we saw in Revelation 21. What did it say in Revelation 21? I, John, saw the holy city New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as the bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them. So you have a new heaven, a new earth and this new city. And this new city is the set of people from all the centuries among whom God will dwell. And the others are further and further. And depending on how you sought the Lord when you were living. All our children. But all won't experience him the same way. So don't forget what salvation means. This was the moment eternity was waiting for. Not that man shall dwell with God. But God shall dwell with man. So look into scripture. Learn from scripture. and Ask the Lord. Lord teach me daily. How do I prepare a place for you? How do I prepare a place for you? Remember if you read the book of Revelation, by the time we come to the end of the seven churches, the final church age, Laodicea. God's cry is about fellowship. It's not a church is not there. It is not worship and services are not going on. But his issue is this, what he says in Revelation 3.20. I am outside. There's no communion at all. And what am I knocking at the door of your heart for? Your heart is so full of other stuff. Can I fellowship with you? It's God knocking at the door of individual believers in the Laodicean church and saying, service is going on, songs are great, instruments are fantastic, sound system awesome, but I am outside. You're not communing with me even in your songs, even in your prayer, even in your quiet time, if there is a quiet time. He says, I am outside. Fellowship has completely, communion with God has completely broken down. Not church service. And he is being such an incredible polite gentleman is knocking and asking for permission to come in and fellowship with us. So we need to ask ourselves of not what we have entered into but who we have entered into. There are two Jerusalems. One Jerusalem is above. Another Jerusalem is below. And we are all attracted to the one below. Now everywhere I go around the world, different, different places, I see this obsession with Jerusalem. They have all the star of David, the flags of David, blowing the shofar in the meetings because now everybody is going on pilgrimage to Jerusalem and bringing all those things from Jerusalem. Nobody is looking for new Jerusalem. They are bringing this old Jerusalem into the churches, the Jerusalem that rejected Jesus. This is not the Jerusalem that received Jesus. This is the Jerusalem that will with open arms receive the Antichrist and not the Christ. Yes, we love Jerusalem, Israel, because of the remnant. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem because of God's heart for Jerusalem. But I don't have much love loss for this Jerusalem. In Matthew 23, this is what he says. 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the ones who kill, the one who kills the prophets, And stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. Is Jerusalem desolate today? Physically, no. Spiritually, yes. The presence of God is in there. There's more presence of God here than in Jerusalem. I've left your house desolate. Till when? For I say, verse 39. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That is why you have two kinds of Jews. Jews and messianic Jews. Messianic Jews are the ones who accept Jesus as the Messiah. They experience Christ in Jerusalem. The others don't. That in his own city, he was rejected. And he says, your house will be always desolate. Because that's one thing you never sought. You did not seek me. So this morning, we are not seeking a Jerusalem on earth. We are seeking a place where God is comfortable. God feels welcome. Yes, God feels welcome. And three and a half years of Jesus' life, if you look closely, disciples, crowds, thousands and thousands of people, yet Jesus led a very lonely life. It's not that people didn't wash his clothes and feed him and not take him. He hardly had anybody to fellowship. Fellowship is something more than eating and drinking, and having daily needs being met. He was a very lonely person because fellowship is two way. In Luke chapter five, this is what Scripture says. However, the report went around concerning him and all the more and great multitudes came together to hear, to be healed by him of their infirmities. So what did he do? He himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. And now we will say he withdrew into lonely places. Because the only one he could fellowship was with his father. There was nobody to commune on earth. Even the disciples who left everything to follow him were still wondering, where like what position will he give me when the kingdom comes?" Nobody was actually seeking him, and he was a very lonely man, so he had to only fellowship with his father and that's what God is talking about when he comes to you and to me, do we reject his fellowship? Are we like the crowds who followed him day and night because they wanted him to meet a particular need? Does the spirit of Jesus find it lonely? Like the day he was born, in his ministry, in his death, in his burial, all rejected. Does he find himself? Do you remember the, the, the picture of the Holy Spirit? When Noah as a type of the father releasing the doubt, after the judgment, everything. What does scripture say in Genesis 8? He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place. For the sole of her foot and she returned into the ark to him. The Holy Spirit is released. That is the spirit of Jesus Christ. And is looking. And the problem is people have gone under the water of baptism and come out the same. They never died to themselves and rose again for him. So the Tao has no place to rest. People are still living their old carnal lives after going into the water. Because what comes of the water is a new creation and a new life. The Tao found no place. And that's a picture of Jesus. Outward form. No inner reality for the Lord to feed on, to fellowship. So scripture talks about another incident in Matthew 21 and he's going to Jerusalem. Now in the morning as he was returned to the city, he was, he was hungry. Early in the morning he comes to the church and he's hungry. He's thirsty. He's hungry. For what? He's hungry. And what does he see? Seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. Imagine Jesus saying, you know, I went to GTC, Hyderabad. All there was leaves. All worship, jumping, dancing, hanging. But no fruit. And I'm still hungry after the end of the service. I'm still hungry. There was nobody I could feed on. It's all empty. Empty worship. They all enjoyed worshiping. they say they enjoyed worship. They're saying, I had a good time. Nobody is asking, did you have a good time, Lord? That's what God is talking about. Victory is a symbol of Israel. He was hungry. But the Lord's need was not met. They say dry. Outward show of greenery. And no substance. Leaves with no fruit. It could not meet the Lord's need. Every church has to meet the Lord's need. While every church gathered saying Lord meet my need. Why every church begins with worship? Because the purpose of worship is to meet the Lord's need. Not our need. So, Lord, how do I meet your need? How do I become a person, a place where you're comfortable, you're happy, you enjoy? Let's dig further. Luke 10, verse 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So Suddenly we see a picture. He went to a certain village. The village is called Bethany. He goes to Bethany and there is a certain house and a certain woman. And what did that woman do? She welcomed him into her house. Bethany is mentioned at least seven or eight times in the Bible, directly connected with Jesus. Bethany has two meanings. One, it means the house of afflictions. The other meaning is the house of figs. Jesus went to Jerusalem and he saw a fig tree but could never satisfy him. But he went to Bethany, to a house of affliction, to a house of figs. And he was always made welcome. Small little place, unknown little place. He was rejected at most places or sought after in many places to meet a selfish need. But at Bethany, he's always welcomed and received. Scripture says she opened a home to him. Come Lord Jesus. Sup with us. Come Lord Jesus. Sup with us. Where two or three are gathered in my name. Do we open up our homes? Our lives? Do we welcome him? Do we only seek him for our needs? It's perfectly fine, okay, there's absolutely nothing. But do we also welcome him for who he is? Who is? minister to him. Let's look at Matthew 21, 17 and 18 is when he goes to Jerusalem. He was hungry. He saw a victory. Okay? Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. He went in the evening. He went to Bethany. He ate nicely. He slept peacefully, I believe, in their house. And then next day morning, he walked a 3, 4, 5 kilometers. By the time he reached Jerusalem, he is He's full in Bethany. He's hungry in Jerusalem. He lodges in Bethany. He visits Jerusalem. At Bethany, he was always welcome. He was fed there. He could rest there. But Jerusalem, he was hungry and not very welcome. In John chapter 12 and verse 2, he was not only welcomed in another incident. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. He was not only welcomed, he was also honored. A dinner was given in Bethany. Please don't misunderstand. This is not Martha's house. It's another house. But in Bethany, he has houses where he can eat, houses where he is welcomed, and houses where he is honored. Unlike Jerusalem. It's honored. So the first question God is saying. If you want to prepare a place for me. Am I welcome in your life? Do I have the position of honor in your life? In your day? Because there is a preparation to welcome him. And most people. Most people I know in Christendom. Don't prepare themselves to welcome Even coming on a Sunday morning. There is a preparation that comes. Preparation that takes place. Because you are not coming for man. You are coming for him. Where you prepare yourself. And how do you prepare? Luke 10 and verse 39. A dinner was given. This is another incident at Bethany. She had a sister called Mary. Who also sat at Jesus feet. And heard his word. She sat. When we prepare a place for him. And a meal for him. An honor for him. It should be a place where he can speak to us. She sat at his feet. We know this, and kept on listening. I believe Martha also sat for a little while, and then she must have been distracted by the needs, and she got up and she went. And I all I can understand mothers with children getting distracted, natural, because the children distract. But even in this church. Very rarely have I seen an entire Sunday or a Wednesday without seeing people distracted. Because they did not prepare. There are a lot of people who visit this small room over here in the middle of the service, then they will sit in the church. Because you did not prepare. Jesus is not like me. When he preaches, he never stops. He goes on and on and on. And Mary sat there listening. Not distracted at all. So when you prepare your heart, your life, do you prepare a place where he can speak to you and you are not distracted? That is how you prepare. That's how you fellowship. Because the thing is that when Jesus comes and speaks, you have to give him your 100% attention. Every word that drops from his lips, you are willing to gather. That's the kind of attention he wants. She sat at his feet and kept on listening. Bethany is a place which satisfies the Lord. where he is able to speak himself into our lives. What did he say my words are? Spirit and life. Can he speak into our lives? Then he is satisfied. You ask any mother here, not 21st century mothers, the, the previous generation mothers. You ask mothers and you have a dining table, the mother has cooked everything, the children are all sitting over there. You know what the mother's satisfaction comes from? When she sees the children eating and relishing the, she is so satisfied. You know how Jesus is satisfied? When he sees his children relishing and enjoying his word, he is satisfied because he said, My word is spirit and truth, and I get the joy of filling you with myself. Many homes were open in Bethlehem, in Bethany for him. He was welcome, he was honored. But in Bethany, there was one person who satisfied him because. He allowed him to speak into her life. That's how you prepare. Is your heart distracted? Is our heart distracted? Make it a discipline over period. Discipline over and over and over and over. Make it a discipline. You can only do it for him and not for man. Because if you do it for man, you will always need a preacher who excites you. You will be able to sit before a man who is incredibly like jumps all over the place or somebody who speaks in a monotone like Derek Prince. But you will be able to sit still and listen to both because you did not come for man. You came for him. That's what God is talking about. Welcome at his feet. Welcome him. We honor him and we sit at his feet, and allow him to feed us and he gets his satisfaction as a father who is speaking life. Third thing, Luke chapter 10, 41-42. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing, one thing has chosen which will not be taken away. Only one thing is needed. It is not just sitting at his feet. Do we give him that position in our life, that one thing? That is the problem of worry. The issue God has with worry is that you have given worry that position in your mind that belongs to God. A lot of people are never able to come out of their worries is because they worship their worry. It takes preeminent position in your mind, in your thought life, which belongs to Christ and Christ alone. That's what Colossians 1 8 says, He will receive preeminence in all things. He may have preeminence. Preeminence. In all things. Preeminence. Does He have preeminence in our lives? Will everything else in our life be still? And He alone receive and receive all the attention? Martha was doing a good work for the Lord. But the work of the Lord, listen to me carefully, the work of the Lord should not come before the Lord of the work. The work of the Lord should not come before the Lord of the work. Let me ask you all those who work, when did you ever in your work life take one day's leave to spend time with God alone? Just with God alone. You spent one day fasting and praying for a breakthrough you wanted in your life. That's fine. It's good. It's awesome. But even there you put yourself first, your need first, not him first. That's all God is asking. You want to prepare a place for me where you will dwell with me, you will experience me like nobody else? Do I have that position Which Martha opened her house, Mary opened the house, but Mary sat at the feet. She gave him undivided attention. The work of the Lord should never come before the Lord of the work. You will always see in Jesus' life, scripture says he has a long day of work before him. But early in the morning, when it was still dark, he got up, went to a lonely place and spent time with the Lord of his work. Always put God first. In 1 Corinthians 15.10 Apostle Paul will say he will say by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain but I labored more abundantly than they all. He's saying you can take every apostle living or dead. I have worked harder than them all. In my work the lordship of Jesus Christ was established. I worked harder than all of them all. Yet in the same breath He will say in the book of Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. "I have Not that I have already attained, I'm already perfect, but I press on that I may hold on for that which Jesus Christ has also laid hold of me. He says, even as I worked harder than anybody else, I was pressing on for the Lord of my work. I put him first and then his work. There's easily, clearly division in my life. I ran after him and did his work more than anybody else. That's what he's talking about. Brethren, I do not count myself forgetting all these things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. And he says, I press towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what he's talking about. You see? He never put the work of the Lord above the Lord of the work. And often we do. And with believers in the beginning and all, when we are very childish believers, he answers, he agrees. But after a point, he stops. He says, no, now you need to grow. That's enough. You're not going to eat ice cream all the day. You need to grow up. I'm not going to answer all your prayers. That's why after a certain period of time for a new believer, prayers stop getting answered. And say, Lord, what happened? Did you leave me? He said, I said, I will never leave you. But if this is only a need-based relationship, I need to make you grow. I need to make you grow. And if you don't grow, you will always be a child. That is Bethany. We welcome him. We prepare a place where he can speak to us. We honor him. We give him preeminence. We fix our eyes on him. And then, John chapter 12, verse 3. Mary took a pound of very costly oil or spikenard. And anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Wait a second. Unless we read the account in Matthew 26. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the, So it was not in Martha's and Mary's house. It's in another house. It was in another house. So put all this in the back of your mind. Because when we read the John account, we will think it is Martha's house, but it's not, it's another house. You know what happened? When this was done, there's a discussion going on around there. And they said, it is a waste. It is a waste. Everybody becomes very religious. They know this could have been, everybody's calculator came out of. This is equal to more than one year's wage, 300 denarii. And where he becomes religious, could have been sold and given to the poor. I'm not going to speak on that. If you want to listen to that in English and uh, Telugu, you listen to the Hanuman Paid Pastors Conference a week back. If you want to listen to in Hindi, you listen to the Ranchi. That one portion I preached in those two places. So you you will have even more in-depth on that. But the question is this. Do we consider he's worth it? Do you consider it's worth it? Or do you consider it waste? Do you consider coming to church on a Wednesday evening is worth it or is it a waste? It's got nothing to do with us. It's got nothing to do with us. Before he called me into the ministry every Wednesday night, I would went from work and to from Himatnagar to Tarnaka in the night, finished everything and came all the way to Maratpalli for a prayer meeting. And who was there for the prayer meeting? Every Wednesday night regularly, the pastor and me. Nobody turned up. Nobody turned up. Nobody ever came. The whole church decided that's not worth it. It was not even for a Bible study. I can understand people coming for a Bible study. acquiring some knowledge which can be strategically implemented in certain areas of your life. I can always profit in it. It's not even that. Even when I did not know the Lord really well, I never thought anything done for him was a waste. I always thought it was worth it. That he is worth it. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, we talk about I have run the race and finished the fight and the crown, but before that he says my entire life is being poured out. I don't consider my whole life as a waste being given over to him. Let me ask you this question. Why is that when somebody fails over and over, 10th fail, 10th fail, then grace marks, 11th fail and finally we send him to Bible college and say that was a good move. But when somebody succeeds and succeeds and succeeds and leaves to serve God, we say it's a waste. We actually say it is a waste. Because we do not consider him worthy of our worship. We don't consider it. Let me ask all the parents sitting here with all your children. How many of you have really considered giving your over your child like Hannah over to the Lord? Every place I go, at least one father will after hearing for two days in every city, town, country will tell me. Can I send my son with you? I'll tell them. I heard you. When your son also says the same thing, I will take him. And I honestly will take the child. And bring him with me. I said, You drop, pull him out of school. I will just keep him with me wherever I go. That's why we have Cyrus. Just walk with me. That's all you have to do. Give me, give, His father gave him over to me. I said, That's fine, that's okay. Give you over. That's what Hannah did. Do we believe what we say? <laughs> You're worthy of all my praise. All my honor. Do we really worship? Do we really? Only in Bethany he found all this. Nowhere else. Do we really believe? That is worthy. 300 denarii. One year's wages. Precious oil. What a waste. Peter has something to say. In 1st Peter 2, 7. Yes. Therefore to you who believe he is precious. See, if he is not precious, we don't actually believe. To you who believe, he is precious. Do we consider him precious? we consider him precious, we won't talk about anything we give over for him as waste. We will say it was a good investment. My time was a good investment. My life was a good investment because he is Precious. Let's go to the next one, fifth one. John chapter twelve verses one to three. Then six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who was was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, and they made him a supper. And Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took this. So you have three people. That's why this meal is in Jesus' honor. By Simon the leper, because he had raised Lazarus from the dead. Understand what is happening over here. Lazarus had been raised from the dead, so Bethany was all excited. So when Jesus came back to Bethany, one of his visits, six days before Passover, they threw a dinner for him. It was thrown by whom? Simon. Called Simon the leper. So he had some skin disease. The issue here is, you see three people in this story. Let's leave Simon. Simon is also there, the fourth person named. Three people in this story, okay? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The issue is with finally is primarily with Mary. And if you know the history of Mary, if you read Scripture carefully, Mary was sick. Mary was a sinful woman. In another incident. We are not sure whether they both are the same, but looks like both are the same because it's almost identical. Action takes place. Where the Simon is not called a leper, that is called Simon the Pharisee says, Doesn't he know what kind of a woman she is? She's touching him. Sinful woman, sick woman, demon-possessed woman. Is worshipping him. Her sister is serving him. And her brother is seated with him. An incredible picture God gives us. Now if you look at it, don't look at them. Look at ourselves through God's eyes, through scripture. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 onwards. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and in sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Simple terms, all of us were demon possessed. We were taken control by the devil to do his will. None of us were doing the will of God. So we were sick, we were dead, we were controlled by the devil. What did God do? Among all we all, we lived in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind were nature's children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in his mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, what did he do? Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God says, Take a look, good look at yourself in the mirror when you go back. You are exactly like Mary. No different. But says, did you worship me? Did you worship me? Did you serve me? Did you reign over sin and be seated with me? Three pictures. Mary, Martha and Lazarus. One family. God says, this is the call of salvation. You are delivered to worship me to serve me and to reign in life. Lazarus is seated next to him. And he says, all of you were. All of us were. Did we? Now if we read the John account and Luke account, it is not so very clear. Something Mary's extravagant worship. In Mark 14 verse 3, we will see that. Ah, it's here. Yeah. Mark 4. She took an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spike knot. Then what did she do? What did she do? What did she do? She broke it. We don't do that. We'll take a very costly life of ours. And Sunday morning, very reluctantly for 3 hours, maximum 2 hours, two and a half hours, we pour a little of our life and then take it back home she broke it, meaning she left nothing for herself. Nothing for herself. She broke it. God still today only uses broken lives. Are you broken? She broke it. Whole hearted worship, she broke it. Martha served. Lazarus sat. Look at Martha. Earlier she had complained. Don't you. Jesus rebuked her quietly, nicely, lovingly. Next time you see her, no grumpiness, nothing at all. She's still serving. Can you receive correction? Do you have the spirit of Martha? That you can receive a rebuke publicly and still come back and continue to serve as if nothing has happened. Can you? Or are you offended? Are you offended? Look at a family. Why do you think he was comfortable in Bethany? Yes, you and I will worship exuberantly because when we look around, yeah, this is my church and this is my family. But Mary is not worshiping Jesus and breaking the oil over him in her house. It's in somebody else's house. Not in her house. In somebody else's house. Her focus is not on herself. Her focus is not what others will think about me. All she wants is to say, Lord, just thank you for saving me. I was dead. You made me alive. I was sick. You healed me. I was gone. You delivered me. Thank you, Lord. And when I look back, what do I have? I have only this. Yeah. It may not be even uh, years. It may be her entire lives. I pour it for you, Lord. I'm breaking it. I'm not going to leave anything out, Lord. Anything out. Nothing out. That's what God is saying. Will we worship like that? He will be very comfortable. Very, very comfortable. I know when Pastor Vijay worships exuberantly, a lot of people feel, ah, because we are so polite, you see, very very polite. We we are very polite. We have our own idea how God should be worshipped. And we think he's slightly off. But when the same set of people who are so polite go for IPL and start jumping for some clown you don't even know, everybody thinks that is okay. And I know people who regularly go to church have sent me their pictures where they are going like this: doni, doni, doni." Yet in church they're very polite. The only is worth it. But he is not. I'm not saying that you should imitate. But you should worship. Some people are exuberant. Some people worship quietly. But whatever way God has made you, you should worship. And you should not be conscious about anybody. Because this is not about anybody. This is about him. That's what God is talking about. Then he is satisfied. He feels good. Sixth one. John chapter 12 verse 3. What did Martha Mary do? She took it, anointed him, anointed his feet. and What did he do? Wiped his feet with her hair. Luke 7, 38. Stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. And wiped them with the hair of her head. And first Corinthians eleven fifteen. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory. What is a woman's glory? The question is this if you look into the book of Revelation, we'll come to this later. Come go to Revelation and you will see an incredible scene in heaven. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders. These 24 elders in eternity is who is who in heaven. The big guys all through eternity. What do they do? They worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns at his feet. They take their glory and put it at his feet. Here, the woman's glory is what? Our hair. What did they do with this? What did this women do with their glory? They wiped his feet. Today women of course cannot wipe because most of them don't have hair. They will probably use it for mopping. More like mop than long hair. But think about it. If Jesus were to come and you have no hair, how are you going to wipe his feet? <laughs> Grow your hair. At least scripturally it is useful. The question about this is not about hair. The question here is, what do you glory in? What is that you glory in? What is that you glory in? Will you lay it at his feet? Bethany is a place not only where he is welcome, not only where he is honored, not only where he can speak into people's lives, where he is fed, but where he is glorified. Glorified. That's a place where he's glorified. That's what God is talking about. You see, be glorified we sing. Be glorified. And our hair is all tied up and three pins also. Be glorified. Now I'm not talking about hair. I'm talking about how stiff we are. How very aware we are. And how we maintain our glory and we will not put it down and something happens how it affects us because we lost some glory in the process we get so offended how particular we are about guarding our glory everywhere I see no you know husband says I'm something to the wife in public the wife glares at him you touched my glory the wife says, something of smoke is coming out. You touch my glory. Everybody are glory hunters. And here is one alone who is worthy of all glory. Only one worthy of all glory. Only one. He's the only one. And the question God is asking is What is your life like? More like Jerusalem? Or Bethany, what is your life like? More like Jerusalem or Bethany? Jerusalem? oh, who always kill the prophets? Oh, you like Bethany, where you make him welcome? The next one, the seventh one luke twenty four verse fifty to fifty two These are Jesus' final words on the fortieth day after resurrection. Then he led them out as far as. Bethany. His final words and his final blessing is not from Jerusalem. It is from Bethany. The only place he was always welcome. The only place, the whole of Israel, he was always welcome. He led them from Jerusalem to Bethany. Then, as he was leaving, he blessed them. That's a place of blessing. That's a place where heaven meets earth. Where your feet are on the ground but your eyes are on heaven. That's the only place you can actually proactively work for God but live every moment in the expectancy of the coming Christ. Only Bethany, not Jerusalem. That's what he's calling us. And listen to his last words in Bethany recorded in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, 9 to 11. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up. 1 to 8 is what he spoke to them. Where? In Bethany. And a cloud received him. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up in the heaven? Two angels were there. The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in a like manner as you saw him going into heaven. Where do you hear this? Only in Bethany. In Bethany you will see a set of disciples who are very conscious of the coming of the Lord. Very conscious of heaven even though the feet is firmly on earth. In Bethany, they know they are in the world, but they are not of it at all. Bethany is a place where our mind is on earth, and the mind is on the unseen things, but our feet is on earth. Sorry, on unseen. Mind is on Christ, on unseen things, and our feet is on earth. Very clear. Called out, set apart for him. And is worthy of anything. And my life given over to him is not a waste. Wherever he sends me. Whatever job he asks me to do. And those who are waiting for the Lord. Dwell at the spiritual Bethany. One place. Where he was welcomed. Where he was honored. Where he could speak to. Where he had preeminence. Where they worshipped him. Where they served him. And where they sat with him. And where he was glorified. So the question this morning is this. Do we think about sitting at his feet as time well spent or as waste? Breaking whatever alabaster jar is as waste or worship? Serving him as waste or worth it? And if you reign with him is when we don't waste his grace. And actually use it. So the writer of Hebrews has an incredible call. It's found in Hebrews 13. Verse 13 and 14. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore let us go forth to him. Outside the camp. Bearing his reproach. Where do you go? out From Jerusalem. Outside the camp. Let's go from Jerusalem. Outside. If you go outside Jerusalem. If Jesus were to go outside Jerusalem. Where will he go? Bethany. Bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city but we seek the one to come. That's why Jesus, when he had to die, they crucified him outside the city. They didn't want him to die in the city. It's not worth it. Shame for us. Let us go outside. Because here, there is nothing here. We have an abiding city outside. That's a new Jerusalem. Not this Jerusalem. And outside Jerusalem, once we have gone out of it, where he is first in everything, what happens in verse 15? What do we do there? Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Only outside that city, when we bear his reproach and we are not worried about, there is continual praise. Our life itself becomes an act of worship. Otherwise, we'll be always caught by the world. Do we understand what Jesus seeks? We know what we seek from God. Everybody has got their prayer list memorized. But do we know what Jesus seeks from us? That's why Paul in Ephesians 5.22, when he talked about marriage, talked about Jesus and the church and said, it is a mystery. No, 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 not 22, sorry. We know that anyway. Please don't go there. I will have very tough looks from people. Because every time you turn, that comes, Wives well, you submit your husband? And husbands use that has that sword. That's not what Jesus said there. This other words where he says, I'm not talking marriage is a mystery, but I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ and the church. What happens in a a marriage? There is communion. There is fellowship. There's a ministry that flows from the husband to the wife and a ministry that goes from the wife to the husband. That's what he's talking about. But when it comes to the church... The church is only looking to the husband, Jesus Christ, to take care of her needs. Do we minister to God? When we do that, we are not aware of anybody else. In Mark 14 and verse 3, that's what it's talking about. Yeah, 32. Being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. People say either you are self-focused or you're focused on others, which is a snare, or you're focused on God. And here was one woman who was focused on God. And Martha who was focused on God. And Lazarus was focused on Jesus. All three were focused on him. One to sit with him, the other to worship him, and the other to serve him in somebody else's house. This world is somebody else's house, not our house. It's not our house. It's the devil's house. I'm not talking about the earth. I'm talking about the world. What are we focused on? And when we do that, Jesus is tickle pink. He says, you are meeting my need today. This is true worship. You know, Jesus is very zealous of true worshipers. Very zealous. Jesus is very Z, not J, very zealous of true worshipers. So when Mary is worshiping and all the disciples and all are complaining, murmuring, going on, you know what Jesus said? In Mark 14, 6, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Leave my worshippers alone. Leave them alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done good work for me. She did a work for me. Not for you, for me. Now we will say she's done a beautiful work for me. Leave her alone. This is the commendation from heaven to worshipers. And when enemy and voices rise against worshipers, there will be a voice from heaven says, leave them alone. Leave them alone. They have done a good thing, a good work unto me. We don't realize our first work is to God. Our first ministry is not to man. It is to God. Then only we are complete. If we are only focused on the ministry we have to do to man or the work we have to do to self and others. We have missed it out completely. The first ministry, the one who deserves it and who has to be given that place is God. As I close, a few verses today. First Samuel 3.1 Now the boy Samuel ministers to the Lord before Eli. It's little boy. There's nobody sitting here who's younger than Samuel. If Samuel can do it, you can do it. And you don't do it, it's because you choose not to do it. Samuel did not know, has the knowledge of Jesus Christ, even a minute fraction which you know. Yet he chose to minister to God first, whatever his mother taught him in five years. That's what I'm going to do. Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. One kid. In an entire generation, one kid met the Lord's need. One kid. What a scripture says? The word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no widespread. Why? Why was there no word? Why was the word so rare? Why is there no revelation? Because there was no one there to meet the need of the Lord. Therefore, there was no word or revelation. You want the word to become living. You want the revelation from God. You have to meet God's need first. Every man who had ever had a revelation, he met God's need first. And then he had a revelation. And there was a little boy who was meeting God's need. Knowingly, he, he had no need. He's just a little boy. He's got his food. He's got his clothes. His mama brings him also clothes every year. And he's in the temple. But he realized there is a need to be met over here. And he's meeting that need over there. And then God will speak to him and speak through him. Because you meet the Lord's need first. One kid. And God speaks to him only. Calls him by name. By name. And his time is going. His time is finishing. He's old, about to retire. Listen to this. 1st Samuel chapter 13, 14. Now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. He uses that man to seek out another man who is after God's own heart. You know what he tells? God has sought for himself a man. Will you be a man or a woman or a child about whom God can say I have sought out that child for myself. Because I see them in their secret closet. They are after me. For myself. This rest and all is different. Forget about position and power and leave all that. But God can God seek you and say you are a man after my own heart. You put me first. You are meeting my need first. That's why 16 and verse 1. 1 Samuel 16 and verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. Go, I am sending you to the house of Jesse, the Bethlehem. For I have provided myself a king. Not Israel a king. I have provided myself. He is my king on earth. I have provided for myself a king. Earlier when the people asked for Saul, they provided, asked for themselves a king. When God chose David the teenager, he provided for himself a king. David met God's need. Saul met the people's need. One did not last till today we talk about David. Whose need do we meet? It is in this context God will say God looks at the heart and not at the outside. As opposed to people providing for themselves a king. And how did it all happen? Because David worshipped God in secret. Before he was ever discovered by man, he was known by God. And that's the thing which you don't realize. When you go back to your hostels and your rooms and your houses and never pick up this book. And never wake up in the morning and seek him first. You know what God says? Everybody looked at the oil Mark, Mary poured and said, what a waste. God looks at them and says, what a waste of grace. What a waste. Do they have any idea what eternity is like and what they're going to become in eternity? What a waste. That's exactly what happens because we see salvation from our perspective. We don't see salvation from God's perspective. Because God God desires fellowship. And God always defends those who worship him. And God will always defend David through his life. One more example. Luke 2. Very familiar. 26-27. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. Seven years married, she became a widow, and this woman was a widow about 84 years, meaning, they say, 84 years she was a widow, that when this is happening, she was around 108 years old, is what theologians say, meaning she has no family, she has no children, she has nobody. Imagine if you are like that. What will we do? We will buy a retirement home and watch TV the whole day. Because we have nothing to do. No burden, no responsibilities, nothing. But what did she do? This woman was a widow of 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God. With what? Fasting and? Ah, We fast and pray for ourselves. She fasted and prayed for God. Because she is a woman and she cannot do anything in this temple, but she refuses to leave the temple and says, there's one way I can serve my God. It's in fasting and prayer. You see? God always had somebody everywhere who had given themselves over to him and said, Lord, you are the focus of my life. A young boy, old woman, over Luke 8:2. Can I have it in KJV? A certain woman, women, certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, of whom were seven devils. Joanna the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him without of their substance. Whom did they minister to? To Jesus. They followed wherever even, whatever they had, they used to take care of him. They ministered unto him with their substance. Do you see? Men, women, children, there are always people who give themselves over to God, whichever ways they can, and they have put God first. And the final words for today, Mark chapter 3 and verse 14. Listen carefully, men and women. And he ordained 12. How many did he ordain? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12 are ordained. For what? No. Read carefully. Read carefully. Ordained? That they should be with him. What's your ordination for? To be with him. And then, go preach. Meet my need first. Then, when you have me in me, go in and meet the need of others. To be with him. We are ordained of God first to be with Him. Then sent out. Whatever job you do. Everybody wants to say we are the royal priesthood. If you are the royal priesthood then you are ordained first to be with Him. Because He deserves preeminence in all things. Ordained to be with Him. Once you are with Him it's easy to go out. Whatever job you have when you are a student it doesn't matter. Once you are with him and you have given him that position in your life, nobody knows about it. It's a very quiet thing. Few people may know, but that's fine. Daniel, few people only knew. Four people and the eunuch knew. Only few people knew. But when the examination time came, everybody knew. Ah, yeah, Daniel, what did you do Yeah, Did you copy? No, he just copied the style of the sanctuary. He said, I am not eating anything. I want to honor my God and put him first. That's all he did. That's all he did as a young man. And God said, at the time of examination, three years later, he was found ten times better. Ten times. And people still don't believe it. Still don't believe it. That God has changed. Hasn't changed. He's still the same God. We still don't believe him who who honors me, I will honor. We still don't. We still don't realize God has called us first to himself and then only to the others. You know the p- portion in the book of Ezekiel where he tells his sons of Zadok, you sons of Zadok, when you come first to minister to me, and what should you wear? Don't wear woolen garments. Don't wear woolen turbans. Why? It will make you sweat. Only wear linen. No sweat in my presence. Meaning, Absolutely free bird. No worries, no anxiety, just the joy of worshipping you. Think about it. If you were demon persist, and you were sick like a dog, and you had a very sinful past because when you were mad, many men must have used you in Bethany or wherever you were, Mary. And you didn't even have much money. There you are. No worries. No anxieties, nothing. All I want to do is worship me. Pour out everything for him. You see? Don't, he said, wear anything that will make you sweat. Come before me. Minister to me. Then go out. Minister to the people. He never changed. Never changed. God has never changed. He still has desires. He still has a need. Not that God has need in that sense, but he has made himself needful. A space in our life. And those who meet that need are really, really blessed. Because life is all about relationships. It's not about things. Relationship with God. and Relationship with man. It's about that. And if your relationship with God is right, it's very easy to deal with this. People who are not right here is because they are not right here. People will always have marriage problems, family problems, office problems. All this has got nothing to do here. It's got to actually do here. If you're related right with God, you will be able to work well in your office. Are you a slave? No. Was Joseph a slave? Yes. Did he have any issues in his workplace? He had a lot of problems, but did it affect him? No. Why? Because absolutely right here. God had the first place in his life. So he was okay with this. He was thrown into prison. Are you a prisoner? No. Did he have any issues in the prison? No. Why? Because he's absolutely right here. People who are all struggling with marital problems and family, I'm not, the problems are not real, but the problems are upsetting and eating your mind or because you're not connected right here. That is the issue. When you're connected right here, if Everything takes its perspective. Everything takes its right perspective. And most of us, when issues start piling up, become like Martha. If I really were to ask you, all those who are having troubles, let me ask you, two things automatically stop in your life. Your prayer life stops and your word life stops. And all of you are struggling with your problems that overwhelm you. You actually don't really pray or read the word or listen to the word. Because you're not able to. You are not able to. And you don't realize these two things are the entire source of your life. That's why when issues that in the church, the apostle says we will not leave the ministry of prayer and the word. Pick up some people to do the other stuff. We will not leave it. That is the channel of life. We need to be connected to him. We need to have fellowship with him. We need to give that space, that preeminent space in our life. Everything else will flow out of it. That's what Bethany stands for. A place where Jesus is welcome. A place Jesus is honored. A place where Jesus can speak to us. A place where Jesus has preeminence. A place where Jesus is worship. And God says, it's no longer a place now. It is people. It's people. It's not a place. God is not looking for a place. He's looking for a people with whom he can dwell, even now. That is the resurrection message. That is the resurrection message. Always, every place I go, I always have to bring Mary's story in. I always tell the Mary's story. I said, it always zaps me how God is so different from us. Here is a woman who was sick, demon possessed, bad life, all these issues, all there. God set her free. She is grateful to him from the bottom of his heart all the time. You see her at the feet, worshiping him. He's dead. She's there at the bottom of the cross. She sees he's being buried. She's watching where he's being buried. Early in the morning, she's there for a dead Jesus. Not a, see. We are all here because Jesus is living. She is pouring out her love for somebody who is dead. He's not alive. Early in the morning. We won't wake up here early in the morning for a living Jesus. She's woken up early in the morning for a dead Jesus and taken the anointing oil to anoint his dead body. Dead body. Dead body. A lot of things happen only we will realize. Disciples all have run away. He's dead. He's hung on the cross. He's dead. All of them have. Suddenly people who were in the light ran into darkness. And people who were in the dark came out into the light. Who was that? Nicodemus who came in the night and Joseph of Arimathea came, and went to Pilate and said, can we have his body? Both are members of the Sanhedrin. They are no longer worried about their name or their reputation. It's good to come out in the open at least when he's dead, if you were not there when he was alive. They came out. And I always ask this question, who carried his dead body? I believe these two carried his dead body. Yet according to the law you should not be carrying a dead body because the next day is Sabbath. But they decided we would rather be unclean and carry him. You see it's only when situations in our lives come true worshippers come out. And you will know who is who and what is what. Normal times everybody looks the same. But extraordinary times will reveal the secret closet warrior, prayer guy. The one who was praying in secret, one who was giving in secret, one who is fasting in secret, is suddenly revealed by God in public for all eternity. World will always remember Mary. World will always remember it was Simon of Serene who carried his cross. They will always remember Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus carried his body. And they will always roam. But Mary watched where he was being buried. And Mary was the first one in the morning to see the grave was open. And she's the one who ran and told the disciples. The disciples, John came first. He did not go inside. Peter went in and they left. She didn't. She still didn't leave. The disciples left. She didn't leave. Look at what happens when you have learned to put Christ first in your life. You have learned to sit at his feet. You have learned to pour out your everything over him. She didn't leave. She's still waiting. And she sees Jesus. Unless Jesus reveals himself to us. He will look like a carpenter, gardener and all these things to people. You will never know who really he is. If you want to know him, it has to be a revelation. So they ask, isn't he the carpenter from Nazareth? All these stories they told because they have no revelation. Because revelation is given by God only to those who have surrendered. Are you thinking, do you know where my Lord's body is so that I can take it away? And he said, Mary? Mary? Voice recognition. You think voice recognition, all this software was discovered now. It was first then. Instrument looks different, voice is the same. Rabbi! What people don't understand, I know it's familiar for you, but maybe for not some Jesus had a threefold work. One on earth. It is finished. Went down to hell. Three-day work there. Scripture, Peter and all will talk how he spoke to the prisoners in hell and all that. He had a work over there. Finished. Now he has to go to heaven. That's the main work. Until that is over, atonement is not over. The main work is in heaven. His blood has been collected. Has to be taken into the Holy of Holies. It is put over there. Work is over, man will live again. But that work, resurrection morning, he has to go. Work is not over, but he stopped the work for one woman. For one woman. For one worshiper, one true worshiper, all of heaven's work stopped. And he revealed himself to her. Told her, go tell my brothers, I'm going to my father and your father, your God and my God. And then he went. Finished that work. Came and revealed himself. He revealed himself to his disciples. Only after the atonement in heaven. He revealed himself to Mary. Before that. Because of worship. Because that's the place she had given. In her life to him. That's all God is talking about. Do you want to know me? Keep me that place. You will know me. You will know me. I'm a God who loves to reveal myself to my people. But you have to give me that place. You have to give me that place. Let nothing distract you. All kinds of things will happen around you and at you, aim to distract you. Don't lose focus. Don't look. Don't worry about what people say. All who are sitting, where you are, keep your eyes on me and I will reveal myself to you. Amen? Shall we pray? He serves such an awesome God. Start enjoying Him now, children. All of eternity you will enjoy Him. All of eternity. It's nothing. There's there's no comparison on earth. That's why all the prophets and all, they ran out of words. They didn't know what to say, fairest of ten thousand. Lily of the valley. They didn't know what to say. How do you describe the indescribable? How do you explain this relationship? How do you explain this relationship? We cannot. There's no words humanity has discovered today, and that's what life is all about. And God is inviting us through this doorway of salvation to an incredible relationship with him. And all that you and I are going through is a distraction. Don't let that distract you from the main thing. Keep your eyes on him. Starting today, let's pray. Father, this morning we just come to you. We just want to thank you, Father. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you. We just want to once again thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, for who you are. Oh, Father, we haven't even discovered a tiny bit of who you are, Lord. What little we know, you are so good. No wonder the psalmist said, Lord, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's sweeter than the honey in the rock. Help us to taste and know you, Lord. Help us to put you first. Let our life be a bedenie that welcomes and honors you always. And feeds you. And serves you. And glorifies you. And meets your need. And not a Jerusalem. That kills your prophets. And silences your voice. Help us. To hear the voice from Bethany. So that our hearts are prepared. For. You're soon coming back, Lord. Very soon. Very soon, Lord. It's so close. And let no heart be troubled because it's so close. Let it be excited. As Paul said, if any man does not love Christ, let him be accursed. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. For this is about you. All about you, Lord. Surrender the church into thy hands and all your children into thy hands. Through this week, through this month, especially the next 40 days, be with us and all our churches, Lord. We are not seeking anything from you this 40 days. We are seeking you. We are seeking you. This 40 days is just seeking you, Lord. You alone. Everything that we need. We leave it to your hands. We know you will add, but you we will seek. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Make us what you want us to be. Because you said to the Samaritan woman, the Father seeks for true worshipers. Make us true. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I speak healing and I speak strength. Into every person's body and soul. That we will have strength both in our body and our soul. To seek after you. Thank you Father. Keep us close to you Father. We have a habit of wandering away. So we commit ourselves into thy hands Lord. To hold us close. Hold us close to you Father. Thank you. Now by faith we lift up holy hands. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. and We confess and we proclaim. Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever, Lord. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.